welcome to More Than Money. My name is Alyssa Young. I am your host this morning and your personal financial advisor. My co-host or sidekick, whatever you want to call him, (laughs) Gene Dickinson, he is not with me in the studio today because he is out supporting the Nazareth Area High School football team at a golf fundraiser at Green Pond Country Club. So I hope that uh, Gene and his golf partner, Darren, have a wonderful morning. I want to thank them for going out today to support my son's team. Um, My son, Andrew, will be a senior on the football team this coming fall, and um, it's something we all really, we're proud of him, we all really enjoy, and um, we really, really appreciate the support of Gene and all of the golfers and sponsors who will make that event a success today. So Gene's out there having fun, but I'm in here having fun with all of you. So I have some um, special stuff planned for you for today's show. Um, If you listen regularly, you know how this works. You can call or email and join the show with your questions or your comments. Uh, So I'll give you information on how to do that in just a moment. But I also have some special guests lined up because when I'm here by myself, I figure you would rather hear me talk or have with someone else or hear someone else talk rather than hear me blabber to you. So I um, lined up some um, some good stuff. Other people can share their wisdom with you. And that means that we've got um, a special guest at 8.30 and a special guest at 9.30. Um, so hopefully you'll learn something valuable today. Um, we are broadcasting live. You can listen to us obviously on um, WAEB 790 AM, but if you're looking to take the show with you um, on a walk, on a bike ride, on a run, in the car, anywhere, out in your yard, um, you can also stream it live thanks to iHeartRadio. So you can find the link on morethanmoneyonline.com. A magic red button appears right there in the middle of the homepage. And when you click on that, you can stream it crystal clear anywhere you have um, you know, streaming ability. And that means you can also listen to this show anywhere in the country. Um, you don't need to be within the broadcast range of WAEB. So you can share this show with um, friends and family who are uh, anywhere, um, coast to coast. So um, that link is there for you, and it works beautifully. And then, of course, after the show, you can also catch the archive next week. It goes on our website. It goes in a podcast app. So if you like what you hear today, or maybe you'll like it better next week when Gene's here, you know, um, you can always catch up on anything you've missed um, on our website, morethanmoneyonline.com, or go to your favorite podcast app and search for the show, and you've got access to lots of good content. Um, you can call of uh, 610-720-7900 if you have a question. On this show, we talk about all kinds of stuff, uh, retirement, planning, investments, Social Security and Medicare, life insurance, annuities, reverse mortgages, um, helping kids save for their future, um, college funds, all kinds of stuff. So anything on your mind that you want to talk about, I will do my very best to answer your question. Uh, You know that Gene has 780 years of experience, so there's rarely a question that stumps him. 
I'm a little newer at this, but I um, have learned so much from him and from all of you. So I'll do my best to to help you out. And of course, if I don't know the answer, I'll find out and we'll get back to you. So don't be afraid to call or send me an email. My email address is alyssa at askmtm.com. That's A-L-Y-S-S-A at askmtm.com. I hope that you will join me this morning. Um, so who is joining me this morning? I um, already gave you a little um, teaser there. At 8.30, um, we're going to be speaking with Keith Stroll. You've heard us brag about Keith a lot um, over you know, the last several months, year. Um, Keith is an estate planning attorney with Steckle and & Stop, and he's going to come onto the show today to talk with us about... Um, Asset protection planning, elder planning, nursing home strategy. There's lots of different ways uh, you could describe on this topic, uh, lots of terms you can use. But he's going to talk about some strategies and some tactics people use to um, try to make sure that not all of their money gets paid to a nursing home if they need that kind of long-term care later in their lives. So there's a lot to know about that and a lot of pros and cons about the different things that people often consider doing um, when they're nearing that stage of life or, you know, if they're planning in advance. Um, So we're going to pick Keith's brain and he's going to shed some light on that very complicated topic. Um, A lot of things that come into play with that are, you know, taxes and um, inheritance processes and things like that. So that should be a very informative interview. And then at 9.30, my colleague, Mark Belsack, another financial advisor at MTM Financial Group, and we've talked about Mark a lot, and he's been on this show several times recently, too. Um, Mark's going to join me to talk about some alternative investment ideas that we've been exploring and are you know starting to use with our clients because of the conditions in the market. It's been so volatile and we've had a significant downturn this year and we're trying to do our best to give people options. And um, as fiduciaries, we have access to lots of stuff. We're not just selling any one type of investment or any one type of product. So we're always learning about new things and trying to make kind of customized decisions for our clients. And um, there's something kind of new that we're learning about that makes a lot of sense. And um, Mark's going to tell us about it just to give you some general ideas. Um, And it also might help you to understand why working with someone um, who is a fiduciary could benefit you, especially in these volatile kinds of times. So um, Mark's going to call at 9.30 and we'll give you just kind of an introduction to what we're looking at and um, maybe give you some ideas. So I appreciate both of them joining me today and I think you'll benefit from what they have to say. Um, I also want to make sure I remind you that we are now promoting our next Invest in You event. It will be at 6 o'clock on Wednesday, July 13th. We are having um, a Laughing at My Nightmare 5K. So Invest in You is the series of events that I started. Uh, The first one was last December. It is to bring women in the Lehigh Valley together um, to enjoy each other's company, but also to uh, support a good cause in in the Lehigh Valley. And we've done a few really successful and fun events. Um, we did the shoe boxes for Holiday Hope Chest in December. 
We did a chocolate and wine pairing and made Valentine's for nursing home residents in February. In May, we went to the Center for Animal Health and Welfare and made cat toys and dog treats and collected donations for the animals that are awaiting adoption there. And now this time um, in July, we are benefiting Laughing at My Nightmare, which is a nonprofit that helps provide supportive um, technology assistive assistive equipment to people with disabilities such as muscular dystrophy. So um, Gene and MTM have been big supporters of Laughing at My Nightmare over the years and sponsor this annual 5K fundraiser every year. Uh, A couple years ago, um, I ran the race when it was at Steel Stacks, and then because of COVID since then, they've been holding the 5K but virtually. So they ask people to register and then run 3.1 miles or a mile, you can kind of choose which option you want, just to do it on your own and then post pictures um, and your results, you know, share them with them. And um, it's still a good way for them to raise money and get you out there moving. So last year, even though this 5K was virtual, the MTM team got together. We organized a night we would do it together um, in person. And we had a group of about 15 or so people, maybe 20 people, um, who joined us. And we mapped out a route and uh, took pictures. And we did the 5K. And it was so humid. It was so hot and humid that night. Um, But we had a great time. So um, we decided to make this Laughing laughing at My Nightmare 5K an Invest in You event and enjoy... Um, each other's company and have fun doing it together. So we're inviting all of you to join us. Um, What it will evolve is just meeting in a neighborhood near our office. And um, we have a course we used last time. So we'll mark it like we did last time with sidewalk chalk. And um, I'll share it with all of our participants in advance, just so you have an idea of where we're going, which way you're turning. And um, you can walk or run or roll. Uh, It means, you know, a bike or pushing a stroller or a wheelchair, whatever uh, you want to do. And um, we'll have a finish, start and finish line. We'll have some refreshments. We'll have some cheerleaders. Um, We're going to collect donations for Laughing at My Nightmare. And um, I hope that it'll get you out there, get moving and, you know, have some fun. So um, find all the details about that on our website, morethemoneyonline.com. There's a banner at the top. You click on the link and it'll take you to a page that, spells out how it works and there's also an rsvp form so i'm asking people to rsvp by the friday before um which is july 8th that way uh, we can try to get everybody like a t-shirt or something from laughing at my nightmare for participating and um just so we have an idea of how many people to expect as far as getting you know bottled water and refreshments and stuff like that if you have any questions at all about that event or want to help in some way Um, please don't hesitate to call or email me and we'll talk about it. But I'd love to see lots of you there and making our own race. Um, So that, again, is 6 p.m. July 13th, Laughing at My Nightmare 5K to benefit um, that organization. And it'll be our next Invest in You uh, get-together. So um, I think that's all of my uh, bookkeeping, uh, housekeeping kind of notes for this morning. Um, I also want to share some sad news. Um, my family had a loss this past week. Um, my father-in-law died last weekend. And so it's been a really rough week. And, um, I 
I have asked John to help me find some music to play for the rest of the show that um, is by bands and artists that he enjoyed. So you'll hear some different music coming up um, for the rest of the commercial breaks. And the reason for that is I want to honor Drew Young. He was um, a wonderful dad and grandfather and uncle and cousin. And uh, we remembered him yesterday um, at my church, Holy Cross. Um, Pastor Brett Jenkins did an amazing job um, facilitating that service. And we had a wonderful turnout of people who came to tell us that they they loved Drew or they loved us and they love us and they wanted to support us in, um, in our grieving. And uh, I appreciate everything. Um, everybody has been so wonderful. Um, all the outpouring of, of food and flowers and cards and text messages and phone calls. And uh, like I said, everybody who, who took time out of their day yesterday to come. And the reason I share that with you is it's interesting um, how your perspective can change about what's important and kind of what you are worried about or focused on. And, you know, as a financial advisor, I have um, clients who I care about, right? And my job is to help them put them in their best possible position for their financial future and otherwise, you know, we talk about lots of things when we get together with clients. And during this market downturn, it's been stressful for me. I worry about them and and their anxiety. You know, I don't want people to be scared or worried. And so it gets it gets to me when the market's down, bad days in the market, overall bad months in the market, and seeing people knowing that their, you know, IRAs and 401ks have decreased in value and as much as we say, like, it's a long-term strategy and the things things will come back up and it's going to be all right. And it's those things are true, but I still know that, you know, it's an uncomfortable situation while we're in it. So a lot of weeks, that's where a lot of my thoughts um, dwell, is those kinds of concerns. And then this past week, sure, I, I did work some and I, and I thought about that stuff some and it helped that it was a good week in the market, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, it made me realize, you know, how not everyone is thinking about that stuff all the time, day in and day out like I am, because there's a lot more important things and a lot more tragic things happening in people's lives that, you know, deserve and require their attention and their thoughts. Um one of my son's friends lost their dad this week, and he was only 50 years old, and he had four kids, and he was a wonderful man. Uh, and it's just a completely, you know, life-changing upheaval of a tragedy. And um, and so I just I, I share that with you because we talk about a lot of stuff in here that in this show and at work every you know in our offices every day that really is important. Um, it really is, but. Um, it just helps you, uh, you know, put things in perspective into the scheme of things. Um, so I thank you all again for your support over this past week, and we'll need lots of it in the coming weeks as well. Um, and I um, just wanted to kind of remind you to think about things like that too, and I probably don't need that reminder, but it it certainly put things into focus for me. Um, like I said, it was a good week in the market. Monday it was closed the stock market was closed for Juneteenth, but we had a positive market, a positive result uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I think the Dow Jones, S&P 500, and NASDAQ were all up 5 6 and 7% respectively. We're still down for the month of June, 
but we take the positive days when we can get them uh, better than more uh, declines, right? So that was a, a kind of a bright spot. And, you know, there's a lot of mixed messages out there about whether what that means, if it will continue, have we reached a bottom? Nobody actually knows. Um, if you watch Fox News and CNBC and anything else all day long, uh, you'll hear lots of different um, guesses, predictions, um, analysis, and you know, everybody's got a different look at it and they're looking at different measurements and different um, indicators of things. And uh, they don't all, they're not all on the same page. So we don't really know uh, exactly what's going to happen. I don't know anyone yet who has found a functioning crystal ball. Um, but the important thing um, to remember is your, is your goals, your strategy, and, um, you know, just making sure that you're, managing things that in a way that are appropriate for you so uh anyway I, i'm happy to see i was happy to see some green it took a little bit of the stress off of me this week while we were focusing on other things uh it's good stuff so um, i'm going to remind you the phone number and the email address to call or email me with questions and then i have some stuff i want to share with you before our first break and then again after the first break we're going to talk with keith stroll and you should probably get out a notebook and a pen because he will probably tell you lots of stuff that you will want to be able to refer back to um, as you're thinking and talking with your family about plans you want to make. Um, so the number here is 610-720-7900. My email address is alyssa at askmtm.com. Um, so I do uh, welcome you to join me in either one of those ways. In the meantime, um, let me see here. I've got all kinds of good stuff. So I told you Keith's going to talk about long-term care. And I've also mentioned in the past that I am taking a class to become a retirement income certified professional, which sounds super fancy. Um, the real reason I'm doing it is just to learn as much as I can about retirement income because most of my clients, not all, but most are trying to plan for that phase and you know making sure you can kind of have a paycheck still coming to you um every month when you're retired and um i i've been kind of soaking up all kinds of information and there's lots of cool stats and stuff in this coursework i'm doing so here's some that relate to long-term care which again is the topic keith's going to focus on um 70 of people who are turning 65 today will need long-term care services at some point, 70%. So that's one of those things that we talk about, do you want or need long-term care insurance? And it's hard for people to, to commit to spending money for long-term care insurance when they're like, I don't know if I'm going to need it. But that 70% number is pretty significant. So not everyone does, but 70% do. The average length of time you need long-term care for a man is 2.2 years and for a woman is 3.7 years. Women do tend to live longer, so they often spend more time in a long-term care facility or receiving long-term care of some type. So that's something to um, put into perspective, especially when um, you're planning on like how much money could I possibly need, you know? So 70% uh, of people need it, 2.2 years for a man, 3.7 years for a woman. And there are about 20% of the population who need long-term care for more than five years. 
What do you think the number one cause of needing long-term care is? Alzheimer's disease. Um, so that's uh, some factoids I thought were interesting. It might help you plan, might help you think about whether you need to plan for long-term care. Okay. Um, and that also kind of leads me to something else I, I actually just came across. I get lots of um, newsletters and uh, articles in my email every day. And this one was about the stages of retirement. And really, it was directed to financial advisors to help us help our clients through the stages of retirement. But I still thought it might be interesting for you to hear about them yourself, whether you're in retirement now or not quite yet. Um, because a lot of people don't really know how to think about uh, retirement or what to expect. And so one of the things I have learned from this course I'm taking to focus on with people in discussions about retirement planning is what are you thinking of doing with this next phase of your life? So that's really the place to start. Um, what, are you, what are you thinking of doing? Some people say nothing. Some people say, I think I'm still going to work. Some people say, I want to volunteer. And others have, you know, grandkids or great-grandkids and they want to spend time with them or they want to travel. Lots of different ways you could answer that question. But I do encourage you to think about how you want to answer that question because then it can help us together determine what you need in order to get to that goal um, and how you're going to spend that phase of your life. Whether it's financially or not financially, you do need to have some kind of plans in place. Um, so what are these stages of retirement that you should be preparing yourself for as you're considering that question? The first stage of retirement actually starts as much as 10 years before you retire, and it is anticipation. That's the name of the first stage of retirement, anticipation. So that's when you're thinking about what are you going to do and kind of making some plans. The second stage, liberation and disorientation. So you really need advice and life planning even more during that stage. So liberation and disorientation. I guess it is pretty disorienting when you your whole like schedule and routine gets upheaved and you're like, what do I do now? Um, then the third stage of retirement is called reinvention. And this article says that it kicks in three or four years into retirement. And then the fourth stage, which is you're like well into retirement at this point, like 15 years into it, is reflection and resolution. So those are, um, and actually, I guess I should say how you feel during that fourth stage reflection and resolution really depends on your planning. How what have you? Uh, how how well have you planned? How much have you planned? Did, are you happy with how things have gone? Or you know, are, do you feel relaxed? Do you feel regretful? Do you feel challenged? Um, so one of the things we can do is help you determine what your purpose will be in retirement, and it could be a big goal or it could be some small everyday goal, and it will go a long way toward defining whether your retirement is successful and defining how you feel during that fourth stage of reflection. And resolution. And this article ends with a stat from a survey or research that Edward Jones did that says that 61% of retirees wished they had planned better for their financial resources in retirement, 
but 54% also wished they had planned better for the non-financial aspects. So it's not just about planning how much money you have and how you're going to be able to spend it. It's what are you going to do with your time? So you don't want to be one of those 61% or 54% who wish they'd done a better job planning uh, if you can start to plan now. And that's something that we can help you with. So um, I've got lots more stuff. And like last time I was here on my own, I'll probably not get to um, get time to share it all. But that's okay because I think you want to hear from Keith Stroll more than you want to hear my uh, factoids. So Keith's going to call us after this break. And, um, oh, yeah, there was something I wanted to mention. Uh, Keith recently told me that if you've got property in multiple states when you die, um, ancillary probate needs to occur in the other states. So one of the things I learned from Keith is if you put your properties in a living trust, it avoids that and simplifies the process for your heirs. So that's just one thing to think about. Do you got property, have property in multiple states? Maybe you should talk to him about the best way to manage that now um, to help make things easier for your heirs. He's going to give us lots more tips when we come back from this break. And now John's playing a little bit of my father-in-law's favorite music. We'll be right back. for you this morning. That's in honor of my father-in-law, Drew Young. We had Eric Clapton before the break. Thank you, John. Uh, So welcome back to More Than Money. I am your host, Alyssa Young. Your regular host, Gene Dickinson, is out on the golf course this morning supporting the Nazareth Area High School football team, of which my son Andrew is a part. So while he's out there doing a good thing, um, I am here doing a good thing, bringing you the expertise of Keith Stroll. So I promised you earlier that um, we would be hearing from Keith Stroll, an estate planning attorney with Steckle and Stop, and he has called in and he's on the line to um, talk to you about a very important area of um, great need for a lot of people. Good morning, Keith. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Alyssa, and thanks for that great introduction and, and allowing me to be on this morning to talk about this very important topic. Oh, you are um, a great help to so many of our clients. Um, we talk a lot on this show about how you come into the office twice a month and you sit down with people and give them that personalized um, information and answer their specific questions. So that is, of course, available to all of these people who are listening today, and they might be encouraged to do that after they hear the things that you want to explain to them. Can you tell people a little bit about um, the area of law where you specialize? Uh, So, yeah, I mean, uh, the majority of the work that I do is in state planning and estate administration. And the topic we're talking about today, elder planning, is really a subset of estate planning, and it's becoming uh, a much larger subset than it once was just because, you know, we have great advances in medical science, but, you know, one of the problems with that is, you know, they can keep your heart, they can keep your body going a lot longer, but as you mentioned, you know, earlier in the program, uh, there's so many more people now suffering with Alzheimer's, and the brain is such a tricky thing. They haven't quite figured out how to treat that well yet. Mm-hmm. So the problem is people may end up in nursing homes for a substantial amount of time with their body still fairly healthy, but their brain not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And this just becomes a much uh, more important topic and subset of estate planning than it once was. Ah, Yeah, that's an interesting explanation for why um, we're spending more time and money um, in that realm. Uh, I've seen stats, and I think you've shared this number with um, our clients, that nursing home care can cost between fourteen and $16,000 a month. So, wow. Um, first, can you explain, like, how does that typically get paid? If you're in a nursing home and you've got this $15,000 monthly bill, how are people's assets used or or claimed to pay that? How does that work? Yeah, it's it's quite an expensive bill that people have to deal with, and and nursing home costs uh, are also going up higher than the rate of inflation historically. So it is a big problem. You know, generally uh, the the way it's paid for is you know you're stuck using your private assets, um, your your countable assets as they as we call them in, in medical assistance planning terms, you know, until you deplete it to a certain level where the state through medical assistance starts picking up that bill. Um, now, some people also, you know, as you've mentioned earlier in the program, uh, plan ahead, um, look out uh, look at, to get long-term care insurance, and that's another option for payment uh, or for reimbursement of those costs. Um, if you've gone ahead and gotten those types of uh, policies mm-hmm. to provide for those costs of care. Okay. So um, when we meet with our um, insurance specialist, our life insurance specialist, Mike Pompey, he always explains to people, you have a couple options to pay for a long-term care. One of them is insurance and one is is private like self-funding. So right, that's what we're talking about there when we say your own assets is you can just plan to pay for it out of pocket. Um, one of the questions I would like to start out with, just to give people um, an understanding and maybe some, hopefully, reassurance. What if you have a married couple and one of them needs long-term care, but the other spouse is healthy and doesn't need to go into a nursing home, too? What happens with how much of their money can be spent on the nursing home when you have 
you know, the other person who needs to be able to also live, you know, outside of the nursing home? Yeah, it's a very good question and and, uh, a big topic that we touch on a lot when we have uh, couples uh, where both uh, husband and wife are still alive. One of them is starting to have depleted health, uh, and we're looking at uh, a possible long-term stay where the assets are going to be depleted very rapidly. So uh, the, the rules for medical assistance eligibility are that you know, once you start spending your private assets, there is an allowance to, uh, to allow both uh, countable assets, liquid assets, to be preserved for uh, the spouse who is at home, but there's also another calculation for uh, preserving income for them as well. Because if you just let them have a certain amount of money, uh, but not income, then those assets would be depleted. So the rule is that the at-home spouse gets to keep half of the countable assets up to a certain maximum, uh, which right now is around $125,000. It does adjust annually for inflation. And then there can also be uh, rules where we can expand that. Um, And then uh, for income, uh, the at-home spouse gets to keep somewhere between Twenty-one and thirty-one hundred, and that can also be adjusted, uh, and also depends on their individual expenses. So it it gets quite technical, and it uh, varies on a person by person, case by case basis. But there is provisions not requiring the the at home spouse to just deplete everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's a good thing. <laughs> At least to yeah. give, you know, give people some idea that some of that stuff's going to be off limits uh, to the nursing home. And so um, one less thing to be completely uh, worried about. But, okay, great. So now let's say you've got um, you're, you're privately funding your nursing home stay and you don't have enough money to pay for it and you don't have long-term care insurance. So then what happens? Well, and that's where the the program called medical assistance or Medicaid comes into play, and that is, you know, a, a program uh, under uh, Social Security that uh, requires the state to pick up the bill uh, for long term care. Now, here in Pennsylvania, uh, we don't provide under our medical assistance program for assisted living. Other states do have. Uh, their medical assistance program also provides for assisted living. So it has to be long-term skilled nursing where this applies. And then, um, you know, they review to make sure that you haven't done anything to create an ineligibility where you haven't gifted away assets within five years. Um, And as long as you're eligible uh, for medical assistance, you've depleted your assets down to a certain level where you're now deemed impoverished, then medical assistance will cover those uh, nursing home costs to make sure that uh, you're still getting care. And that's really where the social service programs that we have in this country, you know, pick up the bill. Um, But that's only meant, you know, again, to cover those who have depleted their assets to a certain level. Um, And, you know, they are very thorough in their reviews to make sure you're not hiding things and that you haven't um, purposely given assets away to qualify. Um, 
uh, under the rules where you're not allowed to. Okay. And we talk about that a lot in using that term five-year look-back period, right? That's when they're saying, what did you do in the last five years with your money? <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, sometimes people do things, though, to protect their money from being used to pay for nursing home care um, so that, for example, they can leave their money to their heirs instead. Um, so I was hoping we could talk today about some of the ways people can do that because there are you know, right, legal and feasible strategies. But as you've already alluded to, a lot of restrictions and rules in place that they need to know about. And that means there's pros and cons to each of these different strategies people can use. So I um, I know there's, there's quite a list of them. And our goal today is kind of just give people like a overview of some things they could think about and come and talk with you about in more detail and see which ones maybe would be appropriate for them. Um, so where would you like to start? What do you? What are some of the ways that um, people do that, accomplish that goal? Yeah, so, I mean, there, there's everybody's circumstance is a little different. Usually the way we talk about this is, you know, two basic um, subsets where we're talking about proactive or reactive planning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the proactive planning is when we, you know, aren't – we're planning where – it's not an emergency type planning. We know we don't know that somebody's going to need medical assistance within the next year or two or six months or immediately, um, where we now have more tools available in the toolbox to to do planning proactively and hopefully not run afoul of that five year look back. So, you know, when we're doing those types of proactive planning, you know, the most simple plan is is the gifting away of assets um, with the hope that we stay healthy through that five-year look back and that we don't have to apply for medical assistance. Now, the problem with gifting is, I mean, there's a whole bunch of problems. First of all, you're giving away assets to somebody else with uh, sometimes the possibility that you're still living in the house or that you know, you have this uh, tacit agreement with the children or, or other family members who you're giving assets to um, that they're going to still allow these assets to be treated as if they're yours and make them still available. Uh, and, and the biggest problem with that is once it's legally given away to somebody else, well, it's treated as their asset now. So you give them the house, you give them couple hundred thousand dollars in in securities or investments or cash and if the child has creditors or if the child has divorce other claims against that asset it's going to be treated as theirs and um, it could be taken away and that really throws a monkey wrench in your plans when you know your house or the money that you were relying on is no longer available um, uh, not necessarily uh, due to anything that the child did, but just mm-hmm. uh, things that pop up in, in everyday life that we don't necessarily expect and we can't plan for or see coming down the road. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems with gifting. And another problem is from a tax planning standpoint, you know, one of the biggest things that we hear people ask us is, well, I want to give the the home to my son or daughter, and they're doing it for either 
this type of elder planning or they're doing it because, you know, they're trying to avoid uh, inheritance taxes or both. And, and again, you know, the, the, the problem, first of all, is you give it away, it's not your asset. But also, um, from a capital gain standpoint, when you give the asset away, now you lose the stepped-up basis that they would get by inheriting it. And tax, um, you know, if you've bought this house 40 years ago and it's gone up, up appreciated in value drastically from, say, $20,000 to, you know, $300,000, there's a, a large pent-up capital gain, which would be taxed normally at 15 or 20% and maybe more depending on how they adjust the, the capital gains rates as the powers that be in Washington decide to tax us more or less, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how much they've spent over the years and how much money they try to need to take from us. So, I mean, that's another problem with, with just outright gifting, yeah. that we lose that stepped-up basis, and um, that may not be the best thing from a tax planning standpoint, Um so those are things that we all have to look about, look at and think about when we're talking about gifting. Yeah. Uh, just to, to go back to that example for a second, um, specifically about like a house. And um, yeah. sometimes people might frame that not as gifting, but they might say, I want to put the house in my kids' names, right? So there's mm-hmm. there, which is actually technically gifting, but they might yeah. not be like thinking of it in that term. So they want to, um, the, you know, make their children the actual owners of the house. So therefore, it's not their house for the nursing home to claim to, you know, to sell and pay for nursing home care. Um, and a lot of times, the other reason people do that, not even necessarily thinking about nursing home cost is just because they think it helps avoid inheritance tax. But like you just described, if there is a significant capital gain on that house, um, the lack of a stepped-up cost basis could actually cost the kids more taxes in the form of capital gains than they would pay in inheritance tax because when you inherit the house, the cost basis becomes the market value on the date of death, right? Yes, yes. So you get that stepped-up basis, and that's one of the big benefits of inheritance that is provided in the federal tax code. Um, and we want to take advantage of that as much as possible because, again, you know, for most people, if they're transferring assets to kids through inheritance, the Pennsylvania inheritance tax is 4.5%, where for most of us, the capital gains rate is 15%. And you know, it's the lesser of two evils is paying the inheritance tax and get that stepped up basis. Um, yeah. So, so it's it's really a benefit um, to to get that and take advantage of that. Yeah, it's that's one of those things people don't fully un- understand or they're not fully aware of, and it's uh, you know one of the reasons we have these discussions with people so that they understand um, the you know repercussions of those decisions from a from a tax standpoint among others. Um, great. So that's a that's a great um, kind of introduction to the things to think about when it comes to gifting. There, It's not always a panacea. Um, one of the other ways that people come to you to, to strategize for this would be requesting a, a trust of some kind. Can you explain um, some of the options there and what they should think about if they're looking to put assets into a trust to protect them from a nursing home? Yeah. So um, again, Similar to the gifting, uh, the creation of an irrevocable trust 
um, is more proactive in nature. So we're still stuck with that five-year look-back rule because it is a transfer to a trust entity. It's now taking the property out of your name. Uh, but what the irrevocable trust does, it avoids some of those problematic situations with outright gifting. Uh, the trust will be set up so that uh, the individual, the husband, wife, or if it's just a single um, individual, still retains rights to live in the property. But uh, the ultimate beneficiaries will end up being the kids or the people that you would normally would have gifted the property to. And uh, because it's a trust, now it still protects the previous owner of the property from all of those problems of creditor claims and of divorce situations and uh, or if the kid just it becomes a bad actor and says, well, I'm going to kick you out. It's my home and I'm selling it. We hope those problems don't arise. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I, I've seen them, you know, over years of practice where, you know, whether the, the spouse just whispers in the ears or, you know, circumstances change and, you know, the child's finances are no longer as secure as they were. And now they're taking advantage of the parent and, um, so the trust is a very protectivist type technique that still allows for the transfer and preservation of the home as long as we get through that five-year look back, similar to the way the gift would work. Um, it will no longer be a countable asset for medical assistance. It no longer has to be sold. But the, the, the transfer, the settler, the creator of the trust retains the right to live in the property. They can still sell the property and dictate that a smaller house um, be bought with the proceeds of sale and it doesn't reset that five-year look back. So they, they preserve a lot more um, control of the asset than we would have if we did an outright gift, which once it's done, it's done and you can't reset that clock and turn back time and undo it. Um, so that tends to be the the more preferable way to go at this point mm -hmm. um, with proactive long-term care planning when we're trying to preserve the house that's one of our um, major assets. And uh, we still, um, you know, retain the, the rights in controlling uh, the property so that you don't have to worry about some of those situations. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that sounds like there's uh, some good options and some tools available with the trust that um, maybe allow it to be, you know, kind of like customized more to your specific situation. Um, that's good. Um, one of the other proactive ways you had, you know, we kind of touched on already was the long-term care insurance and I have a, an email question about, and I don't want to put you on the spot because I know you're not the insurance specialist, but um, <laughs> do you know about the ability to buy policies that either spouse could use? Yeah, so there's there's actually have come up with a lot of different policies and techniques. And I mean, each, you know, vendor has their own, um, their own products. So I, I can't tell you that every insurance company provides them, but I mean, we've learned about them in seminars over the years that, um, that you can buy, um, you know, a joint policy that's available 
for both spouses. They also create hybrid long-term care um, insurance policies that um, not only provide long-term care, but will double as life insurance if you didn't utilize the policy. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can get, buy a policy that is a joint spouse policy that provides a maximum of two, 300000 in long-term care insurance. It would be used by the first spouse to need care. If it's not depleted, it can also be used for the other spouse. Um, and then in those hybrid um, insurance-type products, if you didn't use it, some of it or all of it, um, then it has an insurance benefit that it, it provides. Now, depending on how usable it is, you know, the more usable the product, the, the higher the premium. And um, then there's also uh, deductible periods that are common with long-term care insurance. So usually um, with long-term care, there is uh, often a, a 100 days that um, your Medicare provides in coverage first if you're transitioning from a hospital to a long-term care facility. So usually um, we have that 100-day deductible period um, where the long-term care policy doesn't kick in until the after 100 days stay uh, because oftentimes we can get coverage from Medicare and then that will kind of reduce the cost of your premiums because it's not going to kick in on day one in the facility. Um, you can make those deductibles longer if you have a substantial amount of savings you know you're going to use for private pay um, to make the, the product more affordable. So th- they all vary. Um, you know, there's a lot of different types of products that are available, but you definitely want to look into them as an option. And the sooner you get them, the the younger you are, the healthier you are, obviously the cheaper um, they are because you have to go through underwriting to make sure that, you know, you're healthy um, and not a risk to immediately have to uh, tap into this policy. Um, and if you wait too long, you may be uninsurable. So you want to again, proactively look at these policies to get the best and the cheapest option. You are an insurance specialist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Keith, I'm going to ask you to hold on while we go to our break. And when you come back on, we'll talk a little bit more um, and discuss those reactive um, tactics people can take too. We'll be right back after this break. Thanks, Keith. Shut as me. Oh, what? That 
for being such an awesome DJ. Good morning. Welcome back to More Than Money. I am your host, Alyssa Young. Um, Jean is out on the golf course supporting the Nazareth Area High School football team. And we are coming back um, in the middle of an interview with Keith Stroll, who is the estate planning attorney partner that More Than Money relies on to help our clients with their estate planning needs. And during the last segment, um, we started talking about planning for um, asset protection and uh, kind of elder planning for um, how your assets would be used or not used if you need long-term care. Uh, Earlier in the show, we talked also about how many people actually need long-term care in their lives and how much it costs. So Keith is um, still with us. Thanks for holding on, Keith. Sure. And we um, just to give people a quick recap of what we already talked about, and they'll be able to catch up on this um, in the archives on the website and in the podcast app if they missed the first half hour of the of our talking. Um, but we were discussing proactive ways to plan and protect your money in, in case you do end up needing this um, long-term uh, skilled nursing care. So we talked about gifting. We talked about, um, in another way of saying it, retitling like assets such as your home. We talked about irrevocable trusts. And we were talking la- at the end of the last segment about long-term care insurance. Um, are there any other proactive ways that you wanted to touch on? No, I mean those are those are the major ones. I mean there may be some other uh more technical ones. Um and they they we do try to develop things over the years, but the laws have been pretty strict with regards to limiting um techniques. Um that that those are kind of the major tools that are available okay. for us. Okay. No, but you also told us that there are some reactive ways, which obviously aren't necessarily preferable, but if you weren't preactive and you need to be reactive, there are some um, options people should know about, right, in order to be able to fund their care. Uh, Can you explain what some of those might be? Yeah, so um, one of the more technical um, opportunities that are available to us if we're stuck with being reactive because we haven't planned ahead um, and we know that there's an immediate need for nursing care is, is what's called a Medicaid annuity. Uh, so now this is commonly available when we do still have that at-home spouse, and we're looking at maybe four to $500,000 in countable assets. And as I mentioned before, when we're doing the um, calculation of what's available for the at-home spouse, Generally, we're stuck with maybe only 125,000 in countable assets that would be uh, left available. So, uh, what the Medicaid annuity allows is um, we can take the amount that would have to be spent down for private pay of the nursing home care and buy uh, a annuity which would provide additional income stream to the at-home spouse. And that annuity um, has to fit a couple of requirements to be considered a Medicaid-qualified annuity. The biggest is that any money left over has to go pay the state under the payback provisions of medical assistance. But it means that, you know, that 375000 in our example um, would be put to work and give some additional income streams, some security to the at-home spouse. 
So that's one available technique. Um, another major technique that we utilize either with when there is a, an at-home spouse or in instances where we don't have another spouse is what I call conversion. So we can take some of the countable assets and use them to purchase or um, increase the value of the non-countable. The biggest non-countable asset generally is the home. So um, the home wouldn't have to be sold when there is a a spouse or even when there's not. Um, And you can basically make investments in the home to cover expenses um, to make the home more valuable, but also um, to get rid of future expenses. So I usually recommend on a practical standpoint that people replace major systems in the home, the heating, the cooling system, uh, the roof, um, and also make improvements inside, especially if the at-home spouse may be looking at needing handicap accessible features in the home so that um, when the spouse at home is left with only a certain limited number of assets, we can eliminate uh, some of those future large costs um, and also make the house um, more efficient, lower utility bills, lower those heating oil bills, which you know we're seeing right now can get really expensive. Um, and it you know, it's a practical way to not only increase the value of the home and the um, preserved asset, but also um, make sure that what is left for the at-home spouse um, lasts longer. Ah, interesting. Okay, those are some new ideas I hadn't heard before. Um, is there anything else that you, people should kind of have on that checklist of, of options to, to mull over and consider? Uh, there's some limited gifting you can do. Um, the exemption under medical assistance to the five-year look back allows us to do $500 per month gifting, which um, isn't a lot, but it's something. Um, and then another option that we sometimes see is um, we can have a family member create a caregiver agreement. So it's quite often the case where um, if mom or dad um, was in need of, or will be in need of, of nursing home care that uh, a child was providing care to the, per, the individual that's going into the nursing home, if there's also a spouse at home, they may still need some level of care as well. So, um, you know, you can have uh, some money being paid directly to the child, even if they don't want money from mom or dad. Um, for providing the services that would otherwise have to be paid to a third-party caregiver. Um, and then the money stays in the family, and you can set it aside to still remain available for mom or dad if they need additional monies or uh, services or things that the long-term care facility doesn't provide, which can increase their standard of living and provide some creature comforts. Ah, very good. Um, Keith, are you up for answering a question I just got by email? Yeah, sure. All right. This says, I own a condo with no mortgage, but I am on the deed and mortgage of my daughter's home. 
is her home at jeopardy if I enter a nursing home? Uh, that's a good question. So, um, I mean, it it may depend on the facts and circumstances. I mean, if the daughter's paying the full mortgage and the person was on uh, solely for purposes of qualifying for a mortgage, you can basically make the argument that this is not truly an ownership, but it was a convenience situation uh, out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could also possibly do um, a, an immediate transfer, an emergency transfer of that asset and not run afoul of the five-year look back. Um, but the, the medical assistance rules are specific that you only have one primary residence that's exempted. Um, and, you know, if you do have other assets and they're, um, you know, they're available assets unless they're income producing and then you can sometimes get an exemption for, you know, business assets um, that are income producing because the income still goes to cover your care. So, unfortunately, without more facts, I can't give a real specific answer. Um, the options may vary, um, but you may have some good arguments to, to make that an excluded asset. Okay, great. Thank you. So we can explore that in more detail with him if if that would be helpful. Um, great. So we've talked about lots of different t- tools. How do you recommend people decide whether to take any of these proactive steps or which might be the best one for them? Yeah, um, I mean, the... the the best option is to to talk to you know an an elder planning and estate planning attorney uh, and, and a service provider that that can go over these options and talk to you about your specific facts and circumstances because as I mentioned you know a lot of these rules are very technical they vary based on specific instances and issues you may have other options available that that aren't part of these general options that we've discussed um, that only apply in in rare circumstances. So, um, you know, we don't want to leave anything on the table and we don't want to exclude any planning options. um, And we don't want to give you bad advice, making assumptions or speaking in generalities. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's circumstance is a little different. Sometimes you don't fit... um, like a right, your your situation doesn't fit into these neat um, planning options all the time, and sometimes we have to tweak things a little bit for your circumstances. Awesome! So that's one of the reasons we offer these uh, free consultations with you. Um, Keith comes into the office twice a month, and you are welcome to call or email and our our, our office at MTM and schedule an hour to sit down and bring your questions, bring your your facts, bring your documents, um, and Keith will talk through these things with you and help you figure out um, you know, what's best. And then if you decide to work with him, you can move forward, and if you need to you know, establish a trust or take any other kinds of legal steps or even just create a will or update your will, all of those things, um, that's you know, the steps that you can take from there. So. Um, Keith, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I'm sure you're giving people lots of stuff to think about, and um, hopefully it puts them into a better, more prepared uh, position 
moving forward. So I really appreciate your time and all the things that you do for our clients. Sure. I, I always love talking about this. I love what I do and I love helping people. And I always tell them I'm not, not here to, to sell you something you don't need. I'm, I'm here to make sure that we're getting you know, the, the plan right for you um, and your specific circumstances and, and we're not messing things up. And, and, and there's always value in what we're doing, um, preserving assets or saving tax or mm-hmm. whatever the circumstance may be. And that's why you are our partner. So we appreciate <laughs> you so much. Thanks for your time today. I'm going to let you get back to your dogs and your kids and your chores and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And we'll be seeing you very soon, I'm sure. Thank All you, right. Keith. All right. Thanks. Always a pleasure. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Well, I hope that you all found that to be valuable. So if you missed any of that interview with Keith that started after the 8.30 break, you can catch the rest of it on our archive show and you can share it with people who you think might need to hear um, all of those valuable things that Keith talked about today. So um, he's available to you and that's a a beautiful thing. Uh, So that brings me back to encouraging you to call. Um, so we, Keith's not on the phone anymore. You can be on the phone. On um, The phone number here is 610-720-7900. If you have a question or something that you want to talk about, you can call that number or you can email me, alyssa at askmtm.com, and we can discuss the things that are on your mind. Um, in the meantime, I've got lots of other stuff we can talk about. Um, Actually, I have a question um, that someone sent us by email. I will read you that question now and we'll answer it. Let's see. It says, hello, Jean. I'm sorry, Jean's not here. You're going to have to settle for Alyssa. Um, This writer says, as a financial professional myself, I love your show. I have a young adult son who is autistic. Though he is highly functioning and holds a regular job, There are some things he struggles to understand, and I fear he will never understand. I recently became aware that one of those things is the concept of cash flow and the timing between earning money and having it available to spend. When I was his age, I purchased everything with cash, but his purchases are all online and electronic. Even his paycheck is processed via direct deposit. He has authorized charges in his credit union checking account that are variable and occasionally multiple small charges hit his account before his paycheck does. If you add up the overdraft fees he's being charged, it would exceed the highest credit card fees and interest rates, hundreds upon hundreds of dollars in fees for relatively small transaction amounts. He has no backup savings or credit card. As a parent, it breaks my heart to observe this struggle, but I know rescuing him is not a kindness, and the absence of comprehension can be, cannot be solved with money. Are you aware of any account type or product that would simply reject a charge if there is insufficient funds to cover it, rather than allowing it and charging $32 to $39 per incident fee? Well, uh, I would have to first say to this, I believe it's... Um, a mother, but not positive about that. So to this parent, um, definitely true that bailing him out is not the best course of action, but there definitely are some things that can be changed in how this situation is being handled that would be to his benefit. So one is um, all, not all necessarily, but I would say most checking accounts do have this option where you don't have to 
allow overdrafts. So you can opt out and it will not allow the bill to be paid if there is insufficient money in the account. So that would be my first step is to check on the availability of that option and and basically turn off the ability to have overdrafts on the account so that that fee isn't being charged. Uh, If it's not an option on that account, maybe you want to go to a different bank um, where it is because most of them do allow you to switch that on or off. Um, When I read this email, other things that came to my mind, um, a couple of options. One would be to use a credit card instead for some of those variable um, monthly automatic transactions. And then that way he can choose when to pay the credit card bill. So there's still some responsibility required there, you know, making sure you're paying the bill on time. But um, you can write the check to the credit card company when you're sure you have enough money in the account to pay all the charges that were billed to the credit card. There's also the benefit of building credit, you know, which you don't do without having um, a loan or a credit card. So um, that might be a better option for that reason as well. Um, And then another consideration would maybe be that not all bills should be auto paid. Um, You can still use your online mechanisms to pay them, but do it manually instead of automatically if in this case it might be the better option. Um, I have some bills that get paid automatically on on my in through my checking account. I have some that get billed to my credit card, and then I have others that I decide when I'm paying them. And for the main reason I do that is so I can check the the bill. Um, I think I find that another kind of piece of advice: if you have things happening on autopilot and you're not monitoring it you don't necessarily notice when rates go up or if you're getting charged something by accident. So to give you an example, before we stopped using our satellite um, TV service, uh, we have a package of the, you know, the internet and, and TV and it was all coming through one provider. And there would be these promotions that would be for a year or, or two years where then once that time frames up and your discount goes away, they're, all of a sudden your bill is 5 or $10 a month more. And um, if I am not looking at the amount I'm being charged every month and manually basically approving it or submitting the payment, it's easy to kind of forget or not even notice like what the bill normally was versus what it is now. And then it might prevent you from taking cost-saving measures or baking decisions about whether or not you really want to keep paying that rate. Is it worth it? Are you using the service? Are there other better options? So that is a danger of having things paid automatically. Um, you kind of miss out on that control and on the oversight. So I I like um, the ability to pay automatically. It's one less thing you need to do. Um, however, there are some risks associated with it. So those are a couple of tips uh, for this parent that maybe can help um, your son you know, you don't want to put overburden him too much, but at the same time, there might be a couple of steps that he's going to have to take some things into his own hands just to prevent um, this problem. Because spending money on fees um, is not a good thing uh, when it can be avoided. Um, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Um A couple of other pieces of information I wanted to share with you. We've been talking about on this show over the last couple of weeks about how 
this is a good time it, to consider doing Roth conversions because your IRA balance is probably lower than it's been in a while due to the downturn in the market and all of our uh, investments, you know, decreasing in value right now. So what that means is, you know, you can convert money from a traditional IRA that is tax deferred to a Roth IRA that grows tax free and it'll cost you less in tax in taxes because the va- the investments have a lower value right now. So when you do a conversion from an, a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, you have to pay tax income tax on the amount you convert now at the current value and at your current tax rate so that the money stays invested in a Roth IRA where it grows and you'll never have to pay tax on it again. So it'll become a higher number. And when you take it out, there's no tax. So we don't know what tax rates are going to be in the future, but we do know that if you're leaving money sitting in that IRA to grow uh, in the future, it should be worth a lot more. And so if you do those conversions now, you're likely going to spend less in taxes than you would if you let the money go in an IRA, traditional IRA, and have it taxed as as you take it out in the future. So a couple other things I just wanted to, to share with ideas about doing Roth conversions. Um, other benefits. You, it, they allow Having money in Roth IRAs allows you to save money for contingencies because Roth IRAs currently have no required minimum distributions, RMDs. Currently, tax code requires us to take out at least some amount of money from a traditional IRA every year once you reach the age of 72. So if you save, if you want to save that money and not have to take it out and not have to use it or spend it, um, a Roth IRA is a good way to do that because it's you're not required to take out those distributions. You can let that money grow and sit there as long as you want. Um, it also becomes tax-free income for your heirs. So when someone inherits a Roth IRA, they do still need to take money out because inherited IRA rules are different. They won't be able to let it sit in their Roth IRA forever, but it creates tax-free income for your heirs as well. So consider that maybe if your kids are going to inherit your Roth IRA and they are earning a lot of money right now um, and they're in a higher tax bracket, if they're taking money out of a Roth IRA that's not taxable, that's a benefit for them. Uh, it's also good to have tax diversification. So when you're using money out of your accounts when you're retired and you have some that's uh, in a taxable account that's taxed as capital gains um, and some that's in, in in an IRA that is taxable income and some that's in a Roth that's not taxable at all, um, being able to kind of mix up the sources of your income is a nice flexibility to have, a nice tool to have. Um, so tax diversification gives you options, which are always a good thing to have. Also, lastly, Roth IRA withdrawals do not um, count toward your Medicare premium, and they don't affect your Social Security benefit taxation. So there's other ways that they help you save money. If you're taking money out of a Roth um, it's not going to be, be counted against uh, counted as income that would cause you to pay a Medicare premium surcharge. So that's another really nice plus. So if you don't have a Roth IRA now or you have one but there's not much in it and you have a lot more in a traditional IRA, it might be um, a good time to talk with a, a professional about whether or not 
converting makes sense for you and you can consider all of those benefits. So maybe balance out a little bit more how much money you have in the, the Roth versus the traditional. Um, all right, we are going into our last break of the show. And, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Mark Belsack. Uh, Mark is another advisor. He's our senior investment advisor at NTM Financial Group. And he's going to just help um, explain some things that we've been looking at as other alternatives for our clients. Um, you can call 610-720-7900 if you want to try to get in a question before the end of the show. Um, or send me an email, alyssa at askmtm.com. And uh, when we come back, you'll, you'll hear from Mark, and uh, we'll wrap up the show with some more good information. Thanks for being here, and we'll be right back. Top for you. One of the albums that my father-in-law played in his Corvette convertible. I might need to borrow some of those CDs. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us. This is More Than Money. That We're down to the last segment of the show. And if you missed the last two, we had a very informative interview with Keith Stroll, an estate planning attorney at the firm Steckel & Stop. He is our partner and um, he was very helpful today explaining some things that you can consider doing to protect your assets in the event of needing skilled nursing care, such as a nursing home stay for long-term care. Um, I promised you another special guest, and it's time to jump into that now. Um, my colleague, Mark Belsack, is on the line, and he's going to um, tell you about something new we're, we're looking at and talking about with our clients. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I am also doing well. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Um, I was telling people earlier, our team's always looking for the best options and products available, right? And as the market and the economy change and the circumstances in the world, um, sometimes 
the recommendations we make and the tools that we use need to evolve also. So we've been learning about something new uh, called structured notes, and I was hoping you could share with our listeners what they do, what they are, and why we're looking at them as a possible tool in the in the toolbox. Sure, absolutely. I, before I get started, I know that you and I have talked, but I, I definitely want to express my condolences to the young family, and you know, uh, we're all sending our thoughts and prayers. I know it's a real tough time uh, to have such a significant loss to someone who meant so much to the family. So Thank you, uh, just Mark. want to pass it along to your family. Thanks. We appreciate that. It is definitely of difficult, course. a difficult time, yeah. but we have lots of wonderful memories and we're grateful for all the times we had with him. So I there appreciate you go. it. Thank you. Of course. Of course. So I know that you and Jean have talked a lot about uh, buffered ETFs in the past. And so at MTM, we don't try and overcomplicate things. We've always been fairly uh, traditional using mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, uh, annuities, things of that nature. You can get overly complex to achieve goals and objectives, but the reality is that our clients, they don't need overcomplication. They need simplification. So these types of products that we're about to talk about, buffered ETFs, they've always really existed, and they've always been a tool, but we've never experienced an environment quite like we've been going through Right now, and I actually had this conversation with a client the other day. Uh, whereas, if you, if you really stop and take a look at it over the last two years, think about what we've gone through. <laughs> right, so it started with the pandemic, fastest bear market in history, fastest recession in history, fastest recovery in history, fastest bull market in history, <laughs> and then of course the economy, which uh, GDP in 2019 was at uh, somewhere north of six percent. We had uh, inflation. Boy, this is going to make people really upset. Inflation somewhere around 2%, and the economy was really chugging along. And then all of a sudden, you slam the brakes, everything stops, and we never recovered. Mm-hmm. So you can argue you know, the whys and the how comes and the where we should be, but the reality is here we are. So the market is, is uh, incredibly volatile. There's an incredible amount of uncertainty. There's a cre- an incredible amount of irrational behavior. And again, if you're looking from a fundamental standpoint, it really doesn't matter because right now everyone's emotionally tied to what's going on. So mm-hmm. you and Gene had originally talked about buffered ETFs, and I'll give you a quick, uh, give the audience a quick rundown of what that is. Sure. And I'm not going to overcomplicate things. That's what you, me, uh, Greg, <laughs> Chad, Daryl, uh, Gene, everyone's in the office to help go, go to more of a granular, granular level. Right. But buffered ETFs are really designed to provide principal protection, all right? The sole variable that we're focused on with buffered ETFs is principal, and they come in a lot of different flavors. The idea is that you want to provide downside protection. The more downside protection you provide, the more you're giving up on the upside. So if you're extremely conservative, you're going to uh, get really... I don't want to use the term aggressive, but really you're going to implement a lot of downside protection. And with that, you, you give up a lot of the upside, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, other ETFs in between. So I, I look at the buffered ETF strategy as like Neapolitan ice cream, right? You've mm-hmm. got your chocolate, you've got your vanilla, you've got your strawberry, you've got a couple different flavors that you can choose from. And in this environment, things have gotten overly complex, overly uncertain. 
And so we've needed to take a deeper dive and investigate other strategies that may be uh, a little bit more appropriate and a little bit more specific. And that brings us to structured notes. Okay. So what's the difference? Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, buffered ETFs are like Neapolitan ice cream. Structured notes are like going to Baskin and Robbins. <laughs> I love the ice cream analogy. That's like my favorite food. So thank yeah, you. The that. downside is <laughs> I just spent an hour and a half at the gym. And so now I'm going to make myself a giant Sunday. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm you know, wetting my appetite here. But <clears throat> so. Baskin and Robbins, you go in, you say, all right, well, I want the butter pecan, I want the mint chip, I want whipped cream, uh, you know, forget the rainbow sprinkles, I want chocolate, put the nuts on top. And so you leave with a Sunday that is customized specific to you and your needs and what you want. And here's another piece that's different. We talked about buffered ETFs focused solely on the principal protection. Mm -hmm. Structured notes offer you the opportunity that if principal protection is most important to you, we come up with a specific investment that addresses that. If income creation is most important to you, we come up with a solution that is specific to you. So you're really widening the opportunity to custom create something that is for you. If you go with a buffered ETF, it's a packaged product. They do an amazing job. This year alone, we've, the results have been exactly what we had hoped for, Yeah. but everyone has access to it. Structured Notes gets a lot more specific. Right. Okay. So give, can you give somebody an example of like what a structured note could look like, what its parameters could be? And it, just like you said, it's customizable. There's a ton of, of options, but just to help them kind of wrap their brain around what what one could look like or maybe even what are the parameters that you could select from or which which parameters sure. can you customize sure and again i really do want to preface this is important this is an incredibly complex tool mm -hmm. uh we we try and talk about it at a 30, 30 foot view so there's a general understanding uh, of the the outcomes the designed outcomes for our clients but it's important to really sit down with a professional um, you know, anyone at MTM to, to talk about the details, but let's, let's go into addressing your question. So let's say someone, uh, most of our clients are interested in generating an income stream. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a product that's called a fixed interest yield note. And here's how it works. There's a couple moving pieces. Moving piece number one is you select your outcome period. So do you want something for 12 months? Do you want something for 24 months? Then you talk about how much downside protection do you want to have? And this is directly correlated to the amount of income that you produce. The more downside protection that you have, obviously you're giving up the income on the upside, mm -hmm. right? So you create a buffer, just like the buffered ETFs. The more conservative you get, the less income opportunity you have on the upside. Now, these are two different variables, right? Mm -hmm. The income generation is constant. So let's use a period of 24 months, for example. Over that time period, you will get the income stream that you generate. And it could be 5 could be 6%, depending on how much buffer that you're choosing. So the income payout is what it is. You get it no matter what. The downside protection assures that at the end of the outcome period, you get your principal back. So let's use an example mm -hmm. of 20% downside. 
okay. and 24 months. Again, these numbers are subject to change. You need to go through the specifics and we design something for you and we, we provide you with the structure of the contract. But if you select downside protection of 20%, it'll give you roughly a 6% income payout per year. That's assured. Mm-hmm. The 20% downside means that over the next, let's say you choose a 24-month outcome period, over that time period, if you invest, let's say, $100,000, <clears> as long as the S&P or whatever benchmark you select is not down more than that buffer over the 24-month time period, you get your principal back. So there is no principal participation this is an income generation tool. I know I'm really starting to tiptoe <laughs> into the weeds, so I don't want to overcomplicate it. No, that's good. That's a good explanation. I think that makes okay. good sense. Thank you. So, in other words, you're in this type of tool, and again, we have to keep prefacing that by saying there's lots of different options, and they have to be customized. But in one of the examples, like you just described, you've got your coupon payment, your interest coming to you over those two years no matter what, and then whether yep. or not you get your full premium, your full principal, your initial investment back at the end of the time period depends on the performance of the underlying index and whether or not your buff- it's down more than your buffer. Correct. So I want to make sure everyone understands the income generation is the key variable, right? So if you have a 20% downside buffer and the S&P over the next two years is up 50%, you don't participate. There is no principal participation. The buffer just assures that at the end of the outcome period, you get your principal back. Mm-hmm. This is an income generation tool. And that's just one of the Baskin uh-huh. Robin flavors you could choose. So yeah. it doesn't have to be an income generation tool. It could be a, something different. Um, but right. so that we, and what you just described is that we kind of have like a an equation, and we need to solve for the thing that you know that you uh, what what you want. Figure out what's most important to you, right? And then we there's other the other components can be determined based on what what is your top priority. So if your priority is, Correct. you know, I want the, a larger amount of principal protection, downside protection, um, then the income is going to adjust down or vice versa. If your income, is, you want higher income and you're willing to be a little less strict on the downside protection, you, we have to just solve for whatever variable um, is important to you. That's correct. Very cool. Um, so you've been talking about this with clients. I'm assuming it's piquing some interest, huh? It, it, it has. And again, I'm, I'm selective uh, because, you know, we want to be very sensitive to, uh, to making sure it's the right vehicle for our clients. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting tool. And unfortunately, in this environment, we've really needed to get more creative than we've been traditionally. Yeah. Uh, so there are lots of flavors and I, I'm, you know, know that we're a little pressed for time, but this is called a radio tease and I'm happy to come back on the radio at any <laughs> time, but this particular note focuses on income. There are notes that focus on principal return and similar to the buffered ETS where you get protection on the downside, participation on the upside. There are more complex notes that do the same thing, where actually you can, here you go, generate a return even if the market is down. 
Ah, that sounds pretty cool. So, <laughs> yeah, so there are uh, there are multiple solutions. The key takeaways here with structured notes is that there are income generation tools. There are principal return tools. And so we're really starting to broaden out the solutions that we have for our clients. Um, I'm of the opinion that the volatility piece is not going away. As much as I think that uh, the market's really starting to approach a bottom, I think we're in the back half of the downside, not just getting started. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Emotions are high. And so we need to make sure that our clients are uh, as comfortable as they can be and that they're achieving their goals and objectives as efficiently as they can be. Very well said. So really the the reason that we wanted to talk about this today was to encourage people to have those conversations with their advisors. Yeah, um, yeah we want to make sure we're addressing your emotional concerns and putting you in the best position possible. And um, we want to make sure you know that our team is always looking at the best ways we can do that. And now current circumstances require some, maybe some different solutions. And this is just, just one of them. So if Mark has piqued your interest, give us a call and let's talk about whether it makes sense for you. Very good, Mark. Thank you so much for shedding some light on this. It was a great introduction. Hey, I have another question for you though. Um, yeah. Is, is Zane there? Zane? Yeah. Hold can, on. Can hey, I... Zane. Zane, Alyssa's on the phone. Hold on, here he comes. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I'll see you Monday. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank here you. He is. Hello. Hey. Hi, Zane. What's up? Uh, nothing much, you know. You know, the, the hanging usual. out. The usual. Hey, yeah. um, I, I better tell people what's going on there. I think I might have confused them. So, you know, um, Mark, I told you, is my colleague. Zane is Mark's son, and... He's been on the show before, so of course, if you're a regular listener, you know Zane very well already. But if you don't, um, Zane is a college student. He's home for the summer, and he is interested in becoming a financial advisor like his dad and like me. So we like to talk to Zane every once in a while. Um, thanks for being awake to talk to us today. <laughs> I've been up since seven. You're an yeah. early. You're an early bird. Um, so Zane, I wanted to talk to you because I'm curious, um, what you and your friends are doing differently these days because of inflation, hiking prices for gas and food and stuff. I mean, I know if you're anything like my son, he's always out and about doing stuff with his friends and driving here and driving there and going to the driving range and playing basketball and this and that. And, um, they don't eat out a whole lot, but once in a while they go out to eat and, I was just curious if you're seeing anybody, you know, you yourself or your peers making different choices because everything costs more money these days. Um, well, honestly, I, I personally have seen a lot of changes. You know, me personally, when since I have a friend that I work with, I would often like carpool to work with him, you know, to save money on gas. Mm -hmm. you, you try to carpool with people for work and other long commutes. Um, Another thing I've seen is people my age group leasing vehicles rather than buying pre-owned. Oh, wow. I don't know why, but that's been a trend. Like, I've had multiple people recommend to me leasing a vehicle rather than, um, you know, buying a pre-owned vehicle because the selling car market has been pretty tough lately. And for some strange reason, um, people my age group are already worrying about their credit scores. I know that's a, it's a very you know, early topic to discuss, but 
people want to know their credit score and where they stand in the American market, you know, because this is the beginning of investing for people my age bracket and the beginning of either, you know, making or breaking your bank account with the purchases you decide to make mm -hmm. and what you decide to save. Wow, you so know, um, being proactive already, that's good. I, I personally, I don't think I have a credit score because I don't have a credit card. Um, you know, but other people were, I, I've heard other people my age group discussing their credit score. And I know it's a very early time to be talking about that, but I, I think it's a good idea, um, yeah. especially because the inflation and prices going up. You want to know where you stand in the market. And, you know, with also with this um, specific time period, people are, People are changing the way that they make choices in their lives, um, you know, depending on how aggressive or how conservative you are in the market, because this is when you first start investing into into stocks and ETFs. I, I feel like most people my age group only know about stocks and you could either go um, the conservative route like I have. I've, I've mentioned this before, but I've, I personally went on the conservative route and I've been trying to build my assets build my assets because of the because of the difficult time period that we are in right now with inflation. But you also have other people deciding to go the more aggressive route and, you know, putting all their eggs in one basket and praying for the market to, you know, change over into the positive margin. Mm -hmm. It's just dependent on um, where you stand and where you, how long you think you're going to invest and how well you think you're going to do it's it's very it's very difficult especially for young people because we don't know where we're going and we don't know what we're doing so well the good news is that you know you have time on your side right so um it, just like the credit score example you can use time to your advantage getting an early start building credit getting an early start in investing or saving that's really powerful stuff because you have the the benefit of time to compound that um, but then you also have time to help you correct things that you do that maybe you figure out later weren't the best moves in your situation because you're kind of taking a stab in the dark right so you you don't have to to stress about it too much because you'll be able to you know, reverse course or um, improve your situation um, thanks to all the time ahead of you. Um, what kind of jobs are you and your peers doing to earn money over the summer? Um, well, me personally, I'm in a, I'm in a weird job group. I, I work for like a mosquito pesticide spraying company. You have other people working, you know, like the UPSs, the landscaping jobs. You have a lot of People are starting to do a lot of internships nowadays because of that, you know, at that time, it's a good time to start internships. And I just see more and more people moving towards the career field of their choice. Yeah. So trying to learn and get their foot in the door. That's great. So is that, is that how yeah. you got your poison ivy because you were out spraying for bugs? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I hope that you feel better soon. Um, we're nearing the Thank end you. of this show, so um, I'm going to have to say goodbye. But thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. As always, we appreciate it. And um, I will talk to you again sometime over the summer, I'm sure. But until then, enjoy your, your summer break and um, take care of yourself and get that itch away as soon as possible. <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, always. Thank you, Zane. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
All right, well, we're nearing the end of the show here, so it's time for me to um, remind you of a few things. One is we have our Invest in You event, the Laughing at My Nightmare 5K on July 13th. It's a Wednesday, 6 o'clock. All of the details about that event are on our website. Go to morethemoneyonline.com, click the link in the banner, and there's an RSVP form there too. So I ask you to just let me know if you're coming, if you're going to run, walk, or roll the 5K or a shorter distance, great. Or you can come and be a volunteer. You can cheer for us, you can hand out water, you can make signs, you can bring refreshments to share. So if you would like to do that, just be there, be with us, have fun, uh, and support Laughing at My Nightmare, you can do that as well. So the RSVP form asks you to indicate if you're just joining us as a volunteer and what thing what you might want to do. Um, you can subscribe to the More Than Money newsletter. There's a monthly newsletter that Jean writes. You can go to our website to subscribe to that. Go to morethanmoneyonline.com. In the media menu, there's a subscribe to our newsletter page. Fill that out and you'll get on the list. Or you can also request my quarterly newsletter. Uh, my second quarterly newsletter just went out like a week and a half ago. Uh, if you would like to receive that, send me an email and I'll add you to the list. Um, we offer second opinion meetings for free, no cost, no obligation. Just come in and have a conversation with us to make sure you're on the right track and see if we can help answer your questions about your retirement plan, your investments. We have specialists who come in with those free consultations about Social Security and Medicare, life insurance, annuities. You heard Keith Stroll earlier. He offers free consultations at the MTM headquarters twice a month about wills, and powers of attorney and living wills and trusts. Um, and we also have a reverse mortgage specialist who will meet with you for free to talk about whether a reverse mortgage is a good tool for you. Um, if you've missed all the great interviews we've had with these specialists over the last couple of months, check them out on our archives and um, on your podcast app. In the meantime, you can call us 610-746-7007. That's the phone number at the More Than Money World Headquarters where you can request one of those meetings. Um, anything else we can do to help you, we want to do that. Our office is uh, on Hanoverville Road in Lower Nazareth Township between Nazareth and Bethlehem. So I hope to hear from you on the phone or by email. We'd be blessed to serve you. Thank you for joining me this morning. And uh, we will look forward to returning back here next week on More Than Money. Oh, um.